Good morning. Welcome to Cape Bible Chapel today. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that and join me in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to spend some time walking through Paul's letter today. If you do not have a Bible with you, or you do not have a Bible app, or you don't have the Cape Bible Chapel app, available free at the iTunes store or Android, commercial plug for the day, I'll get that out of the way. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardcover one there in the pew right in front of you. Seriously, that's our gift to you. Take that. We want you to have a Bible. Hey, here's the deal. If you want just a little nicer one, there's a lost and found right out in this hallway. There's some pretty nice ones out there, a couple leather-bound ones. There's a duct tape one. I'm saying those have been there for a while. Take one of those. We just want those to be in somebody's hand who's going to read them. That's a big deal for us is that you have a Bible. So somehow, someway, join me there in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to jump back into this letter today that the Apostle Paul has written to the churches in Galatia. We took a break for Father's Day last week. We're diving back in now. If you've been with us in this series, you know we've called it Understanding Grace. Hopefully you recall, Paul started out by defending his own apostleship. He defended his credibility to be able to write the bold things that he shares. Then he spent a bunch of time in the middle defending this doctrine of justification by faith alone, by, by grace alone, through faith in Jesus. Now, starting here in chapter 5 and 6, all the way to the end of the letter, he's going to defend this life of Christian freedom, what it means to be free in Jesus Christ, and how that should play out in our lives as Christ followers. If we're correctly talking about freedom, the idea for us has to be just like it was for Paul's audience, do we understand God's grace? And Paul sets us up with some really crucial background information early on. He just makes crystal clear what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and then what it isn't. See, Paul had planted these churches on his first missionary journey, and then after he had them established, he left. He had other churches to plant. He was joining God where he was working, and he thought the Galatians were pretty solid. But sure enough, these false teachers came in. They infiltrated the ranks. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says what they did was they came to spy on the freedom that these people had in Christ. And these false teachers had kind of a go-to method, what they wanted to use to turn the Galatians away from grace. They tried to add things to faith. They were in the Jesus plus camp. Sure, Jesus is the way to salvation, plus you've got to get circumcised. So that's what you really need to know. It's Jesus plus. Now, is that the gospel? And so Paul comes in and he says, if anybody comes in, they preach a different gospel, then that person's a false teacher. You've got to give them the boot. Now, just as a quick review, because honestly, we could teach on this every week and it would preach, I guarantee it. Jesus plus is not the gospel. Do we know what is the gospel? It's real, real important for us as we're Christ followers here today because we're called to be on mission with our lives. We're supposed to go out and share the gospel. Do we know what to share? So in a nutshell, here it is. You, me, every person on this planet, we have a big problem. We have a sin issue. We've had it since birth. The Bible says we all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So even if we could clean ourselves up, even if we'd be the very best, act the very nicest, do all those things, we're incapable of living perfect, sinless lives on this planet. But God has us covered. In His wisdom, he made a way for sinful me to be reconciled with perfect him in his son, Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If we place our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ, then God will make this very one-sided trade with us. He'll give us his sinless righteousness, and he'll take all our junk. 
All of it, past, present, and future. And then because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, dying in my place, and then rising again, got to remember that part. That's really important to our gospel presentation. Sometimes we share the gospel, and for some reason we leave that part out. We leave Jesus in the grave, or we leave him on the cross. He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. Jesus conquered sin and death. And that's important because death is the thing that we see as being the end. For people, that's it. But Jesus defeated that so that we can live with God forever in a kingdom that will have no end. That word gospel means good news. So when we're sharing it, don't leave any part of the good news out. Jesus didn't just make a way for us to be reconciled and then we're going to live on this earth and that's as good as it's going to get. I mean, that would be a really small picture of the good news remember back in March with the college basketball tournament on, I don't have satellite TV or a zillion cable channels, so I could see some of the games for free on TV. But then I had to download the March Madness app to watch the rest of the games. It's like I watched the games on my little three-inch phone, you know. It's hard to watch basketball on the three-inch screen. It really is. You miss a lot. What's going on there? Well, that's the problem. We don't want to look at a small picture of the gospel. We want the big picture story. We want to be able to see it really, really clear. And here's the most amazing part of the whole deal. This glorious exchange that God is willing to make with anyone, and hear me on this, I mean anyone who professes faith in him, we don't earn it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. And because there's nothing we could do to earn it, then it stands to reason there's nothing we could do to lose it. Every part of it is God's initiative. So God saved me. I played no part in it, except the getting out of my way part. I gave up. But that's no work on my part, really. I mean, how much work is it to just receive a gift? We need to understand this. God saves. And he didn't do it because I said a prayer or walked down an aisle or raised my hand while every head was bowed and every eye was closed. He did it because he's God. Those things don't save us. We have a relationship with God. It's by his grace, and it's through our response of faith, period. And when he saves us, we become justified. We become declared righteous. And then, as if that wasn't enough, as if being declared blameless and spotless isn't a good enough thing, he adopted us as sons and daughters. And so we become heirs to all that God has. We become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is explaining to the church in Galatia. And he's so passionate about it, as he should be, and he clearly explains that to the Galatians. He gets them up on their feet, and then he takes off. And as soon as he leaves, these false teachers come in, and they blow things up. So we end up with this letter to study where Paul writes to defend the true gospel, to defend sound doctrine, because he wants to point these people back to Jesus. Now, they hadn't lost their salvation, but they were sure distracted from it. They were like in the middle of a big old church fight over non-essential things. And they were acting like they'd forgotten about Jesus. And that's a, that's a weird sentence. That's a foolish thing to talk about, especially when we're sitting here, we're all geeked up about the gospel. But before we get too hard on our friends in Galatia, we've got to stop and realize this happens. This happens around us. When people hear and respond to the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, there are a couple of responses that come naturally to us because we're sinful people. 
And one of them we've mentioned, we say, well, that's just too easy. If all I have to do is believe, man, there's got to be something else. Now, you think that doesn't happen? I have friends who were in this church, and they moved. He took a job in Texas, and they relocated a couple years ago. And they went down to Texas, full of churches in the Bible Belt, and they kept looking for churches. They were church shopping, and they couldn't find one. They'd go to a church, and they'd think, hey, this might be the one, and then they'd find some doctrinal difference where they couldn't be there. And this went on like nine months, and finally they found a church, and they thought, well, this is it. We found our church. And so they go to a membership class taught by the pastor, and in the membership class, the pastor said, well, you need to be baptized in this church. My friends explained, oh, no, we've already been baptized. The pastor said, well, that's nice, but to join this church, you have to be baptized in this church. And so they hadn't found a church, had they? We can't add things in like that. Stuff like what happened to the church in Galatia still happens. Anytime we try to add anything to faith, or we add in a requirement that isn't biblical, what we're really saying is, oh, that's just too easy. We better make that a little harder, then it'll be better. So our church is about Jesus plus you have to be baptized here. Or it's Jesus plus you got to homeschool your kids. Or it's Jesus plus no dancing, oh my goodness, no. You know. So whatever it is like that, then it'll be better. That, that's a common error. That's one that a lot of people fall into. And then this other big error we see for presenting the true gospel and then trying to grasp grace is this notion that people say, oh, oh, so God will forgive me no matter what I do? Wow, I'll just go do whatever I want. And then God will have to forgive me because of Jesus. And what you can end up with is a group of people who try to look real religious. You know, maybe they even go to a church on the weekends, but in reality they've never had any transformation. They've never really surrendered any part of their life. But they say nice things about Jesus, and they go to church every now and again, and they pray before big meals, and so they think they're covered, and Paul's teaching, no, that's not the gospel either. And so as Paul begins chapter 5 here today, he's going to be real heavy on application for the Galatian believers and for us because he's already made this overwhelming case. Genuine Christ followers can't follow a Jesus-plus gospel to be saved. They can't follow the Mosaic law to be saved. There's nothing we need to add to faith for our salvation. And yet he doesn't want them to go the other way and just throw their hands up in the air and go, wee, Paul says we don't have to obey the law, so let's practice lawlessness. Maybe that'll lead us to godliness. Paul wants them to really understand grace. And what he wants particularly is for them to understand the freedom that comes from grace. He doesn't want them to turn back to the law. Is that a hard thing to hear? Believe it or not, freedom is a pretty hard-to-fathom concept. We mess freedom up all the time. We take too much liberty with it. We jump right to freedom, meaning, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, that's not freedom. That's something called licentiousness. That's, That's looking for a license to sin. Walking as a Christ follower means living our lives according to the guidance of the indwelling Holy Spirit who desires to lead us to abundance. Holy Spirit wants to lead us to joy. He wants to lead us to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so that's not going to be a life that's about turning back to the law. And it's not going to be a life that's about running around crazy, acting like we can do whatever we want because we don't have to earn our salvation. Paul wants these people to live in abundance. Remember the joy that comes from walking in Christ. He wants them to know what true freedom is. 
So today we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 5. And there Paul makes three points. And he actually deals with a really hot-button issue that we'll look at. First, in verses 1 and 2, Paul explains to his friends in Galatia, hey, if you're thinking about giving up true freedom and turning back to trying to keep the law, then that's going to ruin grace. Then in verse 3, he says, if you commit that error, if you wind up turning back to the law, then you've got to understand that act makes you a debtor to the whole law. And finally, in verses 4 to 6, it's a tricky little section. Paul says, if you want to throw away your freedom in Christ and turn back to the law, then that means you are falling away from grace. What does that mean? And so we'll spend a little bit of time explaining that. So let's jump in, follow along with me, maybe in your brand new Bible. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So you've got to remember, Paul's audience in Galatia would have heard this entire letter read in this one big chunk. And so Paul's just taught in chapter 4 about how Jesus came to liberate Christ followers from bondage to the law. And so Paul's instruction here is, remember that. Stand firm in that. It's really a warning. Don't turn back to slavery. Understand what Jesus has done. He set you free. Understand what he desires for you as a Christ follower, that you live an abundant life. that comes from letting the Holy Spirit guide us into abundance. He's saying, stand firm in that. He's not saying we're supposed to hide from the world. He's not saying we're supposed to look like the world. He's saying stand firm in what is right. Being holy and set apart and looking different from the world around you. This is the application part for us. Standing firm is how we apply what Paul's teaching about grace and the true gospel and freedom in Christ. We need to see the whole picture to grasp that. The end game of a relationship with God through Jesus is not that we've been saved from something. Do you understand that? It's not just that we've been saved from eternal separation from God. It's that we've been saved to something. We've been saved to freedom to live for Christ. We've been saved to the freedom to know God's great love and affection for us and know that it's not dependent on something we do or something we don't do. And maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but but I think I can. I think the idea is we're wired to want to have some skin in the game. We're wired to feel like we've earned something. We don't want to just take a handout, do we? So in our lives, practically, we mess up. We want to follow after Christ, but we mess up because we're fallen people and we live in this fallen world and then we get all worked up about how horrible we are. And so we try to act better. We try to clean up our own act and then we end up stuck in this horrible cycle of trying to earn God's grace, trying to earn something that he wants to freely give us. That's what Paul's saying. If you're a genuine Christ follower, once you understand God's grace, once we receive our salvation by putting our faith in Christ, not by being a good person, by trying to keep the law, he says once we understand it, then stand firm. Don't slip back into that trap of thinking you can earn it. In verse 2, he uses this real concrete example that he's talked about many times before. He mentions circumcision. This act of being circumcised was to the Jews and to these false teachers, the Judaizers, it was an external thing 
that people could do to earn favor with God. So Paul says circumcision, but he really means any external thing, any religious thing that we would do to try and make God accept us. That's a Jesus plus thing, and we don't need it. The reason Paul mentions circumcision is because that's what the Judaizers were teaching. Hey, to be a Christ follower, you've got to be Jewish. And that meant being circumcised. That's why he's using this example. But understand this clearly. Paul's not simply saying, well, if you get circumcised, you'll be separated from God. That's not his point at all. Actually, in Acts chapter 16, Paul has Timothy get circumcised while he's in this Galatian region because he knows that it will enlarge Timothy's ministry opportunities. Paul's not preaching against circumcision. He's teaching a very particular concept. He says, hey, you Galatians, if you're considering submitting to this particular Jewish practice in order to earn your righteousness by works, then that act itself, the painful act of being circumcised, is going to be of absolutely no value to you. He's teaching there's not any works-based thing that's necessary for salvation. And if we think there is, we think there's something we need to add in, he says what you're doing is ruining God's grace. And if you want to do that, he says, look at verse 3. Paul explains, if you want to go there, if you want to sign up for an obligation that you really don't want, here's what's going to happen. He says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, thinking it's going to save you, that he's now under obligation to keep the whole law. The Galatians decide to turn back to keeping the law. If they're serious about wanting to ruin God's grace and be yoked back into slavery, Paul wants to make sure they know what they're signing up for. He says, you're putting your name on a brand new debt, and it's an obligation to keep every part of the law. We've covered this before at length. Paul's saying, if you want to try and keep any part of the law to earn salvation, then you have to keep all of it. If you don't, don't want to be under grace, you want to be under the law, you have to be under all of it. What he's teaching is you can't pick and choose. You can't pick the laws that you like and say, okay, I think it's Monday, and I'm going to pick do not lie. But on Tuesday, I'm going to need to tell a lie at work, so I, I think I'll pick do not covet that day. But then later in the week, there's a softball game, and Bob's going to come in his new car, and I'm going to covet. So that day, I'll pick do not murder. It doesn't work that way. You, you don't get to pick. Paul's saying you don't get just one. You get them all. Look real quickly at James chapter 10, uh, 2 and verse 10 up on the screen. First glance, a lot of people think that James and Paul don't see eye to eye on faith and works, but that's not true. And here James backs up what Paul is teaching because he writes this in James 2.10. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. You keep every part of it except one, you're hosed. That's what Paul's saying. You can't pick and choose. You want to keep any part of the law for salvation, you become obligated to keep all of it. You can't parcel it out or separate it. You either keep none of it to earn favor with God or you've got to keep every bit of it. And we already know that's not possible. We've said the weight of that would crush us. You know, I mourn the fact that my kids are getting bigger, and I haven't figured out a way to stop it yet, considering no food. Um, but, but they keep growing. But, but even though I'm falling apart, I can still pick every one of them up and carry them around, even Carson, who will let me do it sometimes because he's a big old teddy bear of a boy. But it's funny, my, my youngest kids, Macy and Trace, they still like it if I'll pick them up and carry them, especially to bed. They like that if it's real late at night, though. They could be lazy or they just know I'm a sucker. And they'll say, carry me. And so sometimes I'll say, no, you carry me. 
And they don't go for it. <laughs> and so one time, foolishly, I asked Trace, I said, hey, how come you won't carry me? And he goes, because you'd crush me. <laughs> Hurt to hear, but it's true. He, he's a big boy, but I'm a big old boy. And, and if he tries to pick me up, then I'm going to crush him. That's what Paul's trying to say about the law. It's just too much. It's just too heavy to carry. So Paul instructs us, don't go there. Don't turn back to the law, because it's slavery. It ruins God's grace. It makes us debtors. We have this obligation to keep all of the law. And then in verses 4 and 6, Paul explains this. He says, if we're turning back to the law, then we're falling away from grace. Read those verses with me. Galatians 5, verses 4 and 6. He says, you've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. He says, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What does? Faith working through love. Now, this is hugely important to understand. And it's just a little tricky to navigate. So let's try and study what Paul's teaching here. He's saying, if these Galatian believers are seeking to be justified by keeping some aspect of the law, like being circumcised, for instance, then they're severing themselves from Christ. He says they're alienating themselves from Jesus Christ. That's hard to hear. My favorite commentary is the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's published by a bunch of smart guys who went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary explains this. It says a Christ follower who would do that, would alienate themselves, is in effect choosing to position themselves in such a way that the work of Jesus Christ would have no effect on them. Now that sounds totally ridiculous to me. But I think understanding it in that way helps us understand why in the context Paul is so perplexed. Because on the surface, that doesn't make any sense. Now I get the idea of people running around acting like what God has done through Jesus wasn't real. But I call those people unbelievers. Because of God's grace, because of what he's done, and providing the way for sinful people to be reconciled with the holy God, do we understand that could benefit everybody in the world? It could. But it only does if we appropriate it. It's a big theological term that means if we receive it. We've talked before about this glorious exchange where Jesus takes our junk and we get his righteousness. And we said we don't become children of God simply by being born. We have to be born again. And for that to happen, we've got to receive God's grace. And we have to respond in faith. And if we choose not to do that, then what Jesus has done doesn't benefit us. I get that. But here Paul's dealing in some dicey territory because I think he's saying you could be a genuine Christ follower who is struggling, who is thinking, gosh, maybe I should get out from under God's grace. Maybe I should go back under the law. Maybe those Judaizers are right. And to me, that would be baffling. That is perplexing. That would cause you to ask, hey, who's bewitched you? So I can see where Paul's going with this argument. It's just, it's just hard to grasp. It's a tricky thought. But it recognizes the notion that these people in Galatia could be genuine Christ followers, who are standing on a real slippery slope. They could be true believers who are standing in a place where they don't benefit from what Christ has done because they're blind to grace. Does that happen? As hard as it is to hear, yes, it does. 
Look real quickly at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We'll have this up here too. Peter talks about this idea of genuine Christ followers breaking fellowship with God. They're not losing their salvation, but they're acting like they don't know Jesus. Peter says this, For if these qualities are yours, and in context, Peter's talking about faith working itself out in the life of a Christ follower. If those qualities are yours and they're increasing, he says they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, if you're a Christ follower who is useless and unfruitful, man, that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? If you lack those qualities, then you're not really a Christ follower? No, that's not what Peter says. He says that person is blind or short-sighted. They've forgotten their purification from their former sins. That person has forgotten what God has done for him in Jesus. That person's in that weird spot where some of these Galatian believers might have been. And if they get to a spot like that, I think it clearly points to the fact that they don't understand grace. This is why we've spent months in this study. We've got to understand grace. We can't be in a spot where we think we have to earn it. Or we somehow have to make up for how sinful we are. Do we get this about grace? This is key for us. This is huge in us understanding it. Because here's where grace is so amazing. Grace recognizes that we can't save ourselves. Grace acknowledges every one of our shortcomings, but it doesn't try and gloss over our failures. It doesn't try and make them look better than they are. It just covers them. Grace acknowledges and recognizes our inadequacy to save ourselves, and it covers us. And honestly, that is such a beautiful, wonderful, amazing comfort. And Paul's saying, if you're a Christ follower, then you have that ability to live in that freedom. Not pretending we're better than we are. Admitting we're nothing. We're not worthy at all. But God has us covered. And the law doesn't do that. So Paul keeps asking, why would you turn back to the law when it offers none of the comfort that grace does? Why would you even consider making that trade? That's the question he keeps coming back to. Because grace has God saying, I acknowledge your shortcomings, but I have made the way for you to live in freedom. I forgive you, and I love you, and I chose you, and I've adopted you, and you're my heir. And someone would want to walk out from underneath that and walk back to trying to earn all of it? That makes no sense to Paul. It's a confusing passage. I think at first glance when we read this, we want to jump to making this about losing our salvation. But I don't think that's what Paul's addressing here. I think he's talking about Christ followers who have no fellowship with Christ. They act like they've totally forgotten what Christ has done for them, so they're ineffective Christ followers, like Peter mentioned. But Paul says hard things. We've been severed from Christ. We're falling from grace. That's real serious language. And so even if he's not talking about eternal security, and I don't think he is, this passage at least makes us think about that, right? So let's deal with it for just a second. Because we ask questions about eternal security. Or maybe we call it perseverance of the saints or the security of a believer, however we, be, we phrase it. But, but I want to be real clear on this. When we talk about it, the question we're asking is, can we lose our salvation? And I would counter that the correct question to ask is, was I saved to begin with? Now, this is hard to hear. 
But I guarantee there are people who've had some kind of religious experience. They have some season in their life where they really like the idea of Jesus. Maybe they want to give some money away or they want to go on a mission trip or something like that. But they don't know Him. They don't love Him. They don't surrender to Him. They don't follow Him. They only know about Him. It's hard for me to say because I don't see hearts, but if that's true, those people are not saved. And I thank the Lord that He's the one who sees hearts. He knows. Anybody in this room could walk up to me after the service today and tell me their testimony, tell me they know the Lord, and if they know some Christianese, if they say the right words, I'm going to take them with their word and go, yeah, that's a Christ follower right there because I can't know. Now, that being said, there are lots of you here in this room today that I know pretty well, and I've known for quite some time. And Scripture does give us a gauge, gives us a way to identify Christ followers, because I can look at your life if I've known you long enough, and I can get a good sense of whether or not you really walk with the Lord. There's a test in Matthew chapter 7. It's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's in verses 15 to 20. And Jesus explains this. He says, Beware of the false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them, how? By their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears, what? Good fruit. But the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus says, so then you will know them by their fruits. I said earlier that Paul and James agree on faith and works. This is why they agree. Because they both follow Jesus on this teaching. If someone's a genuine Christ follower, then their actions will be good fruit. That's the test. Now, is it a 100% accurate test? No, we understand. We live in a a fallen world, we're going to blow it from time to time. That's the battle we're going to have with our flesh. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. But here's the deal. When we follow, when we obey, God will produce good fruit through us. I think what Paul's explaining here in Galatians 5 is not about losing one's salvation. I think it's about falling from grace and acting like the work of Christ doesn't benefit you, like you could somehow forget it. And if that's true, I think it helps to remember that grace in and of itself is not salvation. Grace is what God offers to make the way for salvation. Look back real quickly at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. There Paul's explaining the way that some people treat the law and they treat grace. And he explains their methods to salvation. Did we catch that? Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And we know that righteousness does not come through the law. It comes through grace. So Paul's teaching that if the Galatians accept circumcision as a requirement for salvation, then they'd be leaving the grace method. They'd be leaving the grace way to salvation and entering back into the law system. And if that's what they want, then Paul explains they're choosing to fall away from grace. They're not losing their salvation. But since we've been talking about it, I believe, and the elders of this church believe, the Bible is actually pretty clear on this notion of eternal security. We don't have a lot of time on this today. It's not really our topic. But let me give you a couple verses. There are lots of them. 
We'll only look at a few. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19 up on the screen here. Here John explains, it's really clear, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, what, remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Now, the reason this is such a touchy subject, the reason it's so hard to apply is because where does this always fall? It happens with a friend or a family member or somebody you love. And we want to know, are they saved? Well, the Bible teaches that if someone is genuinely a Christ follower, if they are new in Christ, then they will persevere. John says here, they will remain. But if they're not genuine, they will not persevere. So if these Galatians, if these people that Paul thinks are believers, and now he doesn't see hearts either, if they truly do leave the grace system, and they're toying with this idea, this is why Paul's so worked up, it's why he's writing this letter. If they do that, and they turn back to the law system, then it will not be because they've lost their salvation. It'll be because they were never saved to begin with. Because when we begin a relationship with God, hear me, He is plenty strong enough to hold on to us, not let us go. John, again, is crystal clear about this. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 25 and 30. In context, some Jewish people come up and they ask, Hey, Jesus, come on, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And of course, Jesus has been telling them plainly, but they chose not to believe. So he responds, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe. Because you're not of my sheep. You do not have a saving relationship with me. So my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They obey and they produce good fruit. And listen, he says, and I give eternal life to them and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my, fa- my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Not a lot of ambiguity there, is there? I and the Father are one. So if we're saved, we can't lose our salvation. No one can take our salvation from us. And I guess that could leave the notion that we think, well, I could just choose to give it back. But honestly, I I disagree even with that. Now, I think that would be a scheme of the enemy. If we're really struggling with our flesh or a sin issue or feeling unworthy, then I think Satan might come and try and convince us to give back our salvation. But I'm going to go with taking the Bible literally again and go with Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39, where Paul writes this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You get goosebumps when you read that one? It's just me. So if none of these things that Paul just mentioned can separate us from the love of God, then I'm going to say in my own feeble strength as a created thing, I can't give it back. Bottom line, because we have to move on and finish these last two verses, you can't lose your salvation. We may not have it, but if we have it, we can't lose it. In verse 5, Paul shares these genuine Christ followers, they're waiting for the consummation of salvation when our righteousness in Christ is going to be fully realized, when Jesus returns and all the Christ followers will be transformed, and then I guarantee there won't be any questions about who's saved and who isn't. Finally, in verse 6, Paul covers this notion of fruit in the life of a Christ follower. He says, for those who are in Christ and Christ is in them, then their faith will work itself out in loving actions. He's saying faith in Jesus Christ is going to produce good fruit. Paul explains this to the church in Ephesus as well. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it's kind of a common theme for Paul. People should be able to see our faith working out in our lives. Here's what he says in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Do you catch that? We're not created to have to do good works to walk with Christ. We're created in Christ so that we could walk in freedom and abundance and joy, doing these things that God has prepared for us so we could live our lives to the full. That's what freedom is. That's what freedom is. It's doing what God has wired us to do. You know me, I love the ministry of Young Life. God used Young Life to draw me to himself, and, and the people that I've seen partner with Young Life, I see great fruit out of their life. A couple years ago, Young Life changed their slogan. It's a really, really good one. Their new slogan is, you were made for this. That's what Paul's trying to explain about freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We were made for freedom, not to be yoked into slavery and not to be free to sin and then expect forgiveness. No, as Christ followers, we were made to walk in the joy of the Lord. We were made to walk in the abundance of that God desires for us. That's what we were made for. And then we got to recognize that works both ways. Paul says it doesn't matter if we're circumcised or we're uncircumcised. What matters is faith working through love. What does that mean in our lives? How do we apply that today? Well, the idea is, because of what Paul's been teaching, it doesn't matter if as a kid you won all the sword drills or if you don't even know what a sword drill is because <laughs> you never went to church. It doesn't matter if you spent seasons of your life living in bars and going to clubs and parties or if you've gone the opposite direction and you grew up trying to pretend none of those things exist. For justification, for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the things we've done, the things we haven't done, they don't matter. So what does matter? Well, I pray by now we know the answer to this one. It's faith. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that matters. For salvation, it doesn't matter if we're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if we're baptized or not baptized. It only matters if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then we let that work out through us in love. I think if you do that, you'll want to be baptized to identify with Christ. But for salvation, it doesn't matter if you are or you aren't. 
Next time we all get together again, Paul's going to continue this appeal for the folks in the Galatians to not turn back to the law. But as we close today, I want to ask, how are we applying this in our lives? Are we living in freedom? Do we understand if, if we walk with Christ, we've been set free? Is that what we're living for? For abundance and joy? Or are we like the Galatians and we're toying with this idea of, well, I've got to do these certain things? Or we're abusing our freedom, we're way out on the other side? It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Let's work on understanding grace and applying it in our lives. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your great grace. Even as Jeff sang that song earlier, and we'll close with that song, it blows me away. Your grace is there, and it finds us. God, help us to respond in faith. Help us to live lives of abundance and joy, not so we can be bragging about all the abundance and joy, but because that's what we're made for. We're made for that, to walk with you in freedom. God, help us to be the kind of church that does that. Help us to be the individual Christ followers that do that. And when we go out and interact with our neighbors and our coworkers and the people in stores around us, they'll see that we live in freedom and that'll be attractive to them. And we'll get to share the whole gospel and let you work. God, we love you so much. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.